0: So if you're just joining us, uh, last week we started a new series and it's called Wind and Fire. It's going to be a seven-week series on the Holy Spirit. And so last week we started with probably the most important question to start a series on the Holy Spirit, which is, who is the Holy Spirit? And so we talked about the Holy Spirit and we said the Holy Spirit is God, that we believe that God is three in one, He's triune, one essence, three persons, father, son, and Holy Spirit, and that God is one, however, God is three persons, and those three persons are distinct, and we talked about how you see that all the way in the very beginning of scripture, you see the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, how they're all involved in creation, and that actually creation itself, in Genesis 1, in the story, as Moses writes, is painting a picture for who God is, in his heart, that God is a God that is looking over us, our chaos and our formlessness and our void. And He has good will and purposes for us. And that the Son has accomplished Jesus Christ on the, on the cross by taking our chaos and taking our disorder and taking our formlessness and taking our pain and taking our emptiness and paying for all of our sin, putting in the grave and coming forth three days later as we celebrated just a few weeks ago on Easter. But that the Holy Spirit is the one who is hovering and who forms that which is formless as he comes and he brings order to the chaos of our life and he fills the emptiness of our heart and of our mind, and he brings us to see Jesus Christ and his truth. So we talked about the Holy Spirit's role and how he is, in fact, the third person of God. And sometimes we can uh, be a little bit intimidated by the Holy Spirit. We understand the Father. We understand the Son, Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit can be a little confusing. So we said he's not an impersonal force. We said he is personal and he is active and engaged in your life, bringing about order, bringing about form, bringing about filling of those places that are empty And so tonight in John 3, we go from Genesis 1 to John 3, and here's what it's going to say. The Holy Spirit gives life to you, new life, eternal and new, even now, today, tonight, and going forward. So we're going to jump right in. So if you have the the passage before you, or if you have your Bible, you can open it to John 3 as well. Verse 3 says this, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. You have to stop there. Okay, so Nicodemus is a Pharisee. What that means is he's devoutly religious. He is very devoted to Judaism. He studies the Torah. He studies the Hebrew Bible. He is trying to observe the law and to keep the commandments perfectly. He is trying to be as good and as morally superior to others in his life as he can be. He is elevated above everybody else as one of the most religious and good people in the entire society. He's a Pharisee, and then he's also a ruler. It says now we don't know what type of ruler. He doesn't tell us whether or not he owns a bunch of land, and so he has employees, or maybe he owns a different businesses, and so he's a ruler as he oversees his employees. A lot of people speculate maybe Nicodemus is a part of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish council. Another. Position of prominence. It was actually the Sanhedrin that convicted Christ to death. So we don't know. We know that he's devoutly religious. We know that he is a ruler. And so what we can surmise about Nicodemus is that he is very important and he's very influential, not only in Jerusalem, but all the way throughout the empire wherever Jews are living. They would know, they would respect, they would honor Nicodemus as a Pharisee. And as a ruler, so this man, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus, okay? Verse 2 says, this man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. So he's talking on behalf of some other people. Maybe they had a conversation. They're talking about Jesus. And he says, we know you're a teacher. We know that you are a rabbi who has come from God. Why? For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's coming to Jesus. He's devoutly religious. He's very interested in the things of God. He's a ruler, and he comes to Jesus at night. It's a really important detail. One thing to always remember when you read Scripture is that every single word matters. So the question is, what's the significance of Nicodemus coming to meet Jesus at night? Maybe he's a ruler, and he's really busy, so the only free time he has is at night. But that would have been odd, because he's a ruler, and so if he wants to meet with Jesus, he would have just summoned Jesus to come meet him. He can he's he's his boss, right? He doesn't have to call him to work because he's the boss, right? So he can make some time and he can meet Jesus during the day. And plus most people would not meet at night. It became dangerous at night. It's a very different world some 2000 years ago at night. So most likely he didn't just come meet Jesus at night because he didn't have time or He's a night owl. Most likely, the reason that he's coming to meet Jesus at night is because he doesn't want to associate himself with Jesus. He has questions for Jesus, he's very interested in Jesus, but he does not want anyone to see because he knows that could have an effect on his career, that could have an effect on his reputation. That could have an effect on his friends and his social circle if they knew Nicodemus was going to meet Jesus. Because we're only in John chapter 3 of the entire book, but Jesus is already causing disruption. He's already a threat because in John chapter 2, Jesus performs his first miracle. He turns water into, we're going to say that out loud. he turns water into right? Everyone's like greatest miracle of all time. He's at a wedding. They run out of wine. You know, it's a shame on the bride and the groom because they're supposed to provide enough wine for the entire party and they've run out. And so Jesus takes the water and he turns it into wine. And people are like, this guy is awesome. But then right after that, he does something that people would be like, whoa, wait, okay. you got the whole water and the wine. You really got really high on your horse here because he goes to the temple and he walks in the temple, the place where God and man meet, and he begins to flip over tables. Right after he turns water into wine. Starts to flip over tables as he takes some cords and he makes a whip and he starts this is Jesus. He starts whipping people, money changers, and telling them to leave the temple, because he says that they have taken the temple of God, that is to be a house of prayer, where you, God and man, come and meet, and they've turned it into a place of business. So people are like, whoa. What are you, what are you doing? But then he says something even more shocking because he tells them that they're going to destroy this temple and he's going to raise it up in three days. Now we know in retrospect that what Jesus was talking about, and he unfolds this in his life and his ministry, and he explains this more in detail. And then he models it, that what he's speaking of is his body. He is the temple. Right, The temple is a place where God and man meet. And Jesus is saying, I am the temple. Actually, through me, through Jesus, is where God and man meet. You want to come to the Father? you got to come through me. And this temple is going to be destroyed in three days. It's going to be rebuilt. It's going to rise. But that's not what they heard, right? They heard this temple is going to be destroyed and you're going to build it in three days. They're like, it took 46 years. So Jesus is like already disrupting the peace people are confused people are like what is the deal with this guy we were cool with the water into wine but this whole temple fiasco is getting a little bit out of control but nicodemus has questions he is interested and he says listen we are pretty sure a group of us i think as well that you are from god because the things that you have done only somebody from god could do Because God must be with you. And so the question is, why here in this moment, as Nicodemus approaches Jesus with these questions, not wanting to be associated with him because he comes at night, why does John include the word night, that he arrives at night? We know that it's not to bash Nicodemus because as if he's like a coward or he's afraid to associate himself with Jesus because the rest of the gospel of John does not bash, nor the rest of this passage does not bash Nicodemus. See, I think what's happening here is that John includes this detail. He wants you to know that Nicodemus comes to meet Jesus at night, not only because Nicodemus doesn't want to associate himself with Jesus. He's a little bit ashamed that he's asking Jesus questions. But also because he wants you to know the spiritual condition of Nicodemus. He wants you to know that Nicodemus is a man who is in darkness. He doesn't see things clearly. See, the the word night in the entire book that John writes is always associated with negative things. It says that Judas betrayed Jesus at night. It says that the disciples went out fishing and they caught no fish at night. Jesus says that if you walk at night, you're going to stumble because the light is not in you. And then Jesus says that he is the light of the world, right? He is the opposite of darkness. He is the opposite of the night. So John is painting this picture here as he writes. He's wanting you to know that not only does Nicodemus not want to associate himself with with Jesus for fear of how that would affect his career and his life and his social circles. But Nicodemus, his spiritual condition is that he is in darkness, though he thinks he's not. He thinks he's okay because he is devoutly religious. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says to him, rabbi, which means teacher. This is an affectionate word. So his disciples, Jesus' disciples, would have called Jesus rabbi. So he shows Jesus respect, right? He comes with these questions. as Rabbi, I have some questions for you. I know that you're from God because there's no way anyone could do what you've already done unless God is with him. And this is how Jesus responds. Verse 3, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you're different. I recognize that you're different. And then Jesus responds with, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And you're like, wait, what? What what does it have to do with what Nicodemus is saying? Nicodemus comes and he's obviously wanting confirmation that Jesus is in fact from God. He's a teacher from God because God is with him. And then Jesus goes on and says, Correct. Yes, you're correct. And no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. It seems as if Jesus has just said, you know what? Thank you, but we're going to go on to what I want to talk about right now. But he doesn't. Actually, Jesus is answering the question that Nicodemus is really asking, because what Nicodemus wants to know is that I want to know if you're from God, because it seems that God must be with you it seems that God must inhabit you because Nicodemus's real question is how do I know for sure that I and God, my relationship with God is okay? How do I know that I can see the kingdom of God? How do I know that I can enter the kingdom of God? Am I doing it right? I mean, I'm a ruler. I'm a Pharisee. I study the scriptures. I really try to be a good person. I'm a Jew, so that's good as well am I doing everything okay? You're a teacher, you're from God, I need to know. And Jesus lets him know that he's actually mistaken. See, what Jesus is saying here, he says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And this is really messing with Nicodemus because what he's fleshing out here is he's saying, it does not matter, Nicodemus, that you're a Jew. It doesn't matter that your heritage or your bloodline, it doesn't matter that you're a Pharisee and you're very morally superior, or at least you view yourself as morally superior to others and you're a really good person and you strive to always uphold the law perfectly and you think you can perform for God and then God's going to love you. And listen, no. The only way you can see the kingdom of God and enter the kingdom of God is if you're born again. And, and Nicodemus, is he's very simple-minded. He can't fathom what Jesus is saying. And so he responds with this in verse 4. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's stuck completely on the physical. But Jesus is very patient and loving towards Nicodemus. I was thinking this week as I was reading this passage, like I am so thankful that God is patient with my simple-minded questions with my doubts, with all the things that I bring to him that are like, I'm thinking completely off. I'm not even in the same ballpark. Nicodemus thinks that Jesus is saying that you have to enter your mother's womb a second time. And Jesus is like, Nicodemus, (laughs) let me help you out here, buddy. He's patient and he's loving as he is to you and me with our questions. And so he says to him in verse five, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. We're saying, listen, Nicodemus, I'm not talking about flesh. I'm talking about something spiritual. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, because the wind blows where it wishes, and you will hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. You read this and you were expecting it to be like really clear. And you're just like, wait, what? Like, (laughs) how is Jesus helping Nicodemus out here? He's talking about water and the spirit. What is he actually saying? Well, what we're going to, you're going to see is that Jesus is actually helping to answer the questions that Nicodemus is asking because water brings images and thoughts of what? Cleansing, right? You use water to wash your hands, to wash your body, is a cleaning agent. But water is also used to sustain life, right? Water falls from the heavens like rain, the rivers and the oceans and lakes. It it brings life, plants and animals and humans. We all need water to live. And so he's saying here. That water and the spirit, as he attaches these two words together, you notice the preposition of he's attaching water and spirit together because he wants Nicodemus to understand something. He wants Nicodemus, who is coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, who are you and what is the nature of the kingdom of God? How do I know that I can be? in the kingdom of God, that I can be a child of God, that me and God in this relationship is secure. I want to know that. I think you're from God, so I'm asking you this question. And Nicodemus says, you have to be born again. And then he says, it's by the Spirit. And the Spirit is like water. It is cleansing, and it sustains and gives life. So Nicodemus is standing there before Jesus, and he's asking these questions at night. Because he wants to know that question that we've all asked, right? I don't know if you're like me. I've, When I started my journey of faith, I came to Jesus at night. Maybe you've, your story is similar. Maybe that's your story now, right? You're, you're coming to Jesus at night. You don't really want very many people to know, especially friends and co-workers. People ask you at work, like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? You tell them you're going to the beach. You're going to watch Netflix for way too long, and you conveniently leave out that you're going to church because that would get awkward. You know, you're standing in, in, in the break room at the office and somebody says, they start talking about another coworker or friend and their beliefs. And they say something like, do people really believe that? And then you like take your coffee and you, you know, take a sip and you do like a little nod. Because if you do a big nod, you'll feel guilty. But like a little nod is like, move on, don't ask me. See, a lot of us, and many of us may be here in the moment, or at least previously, we've come to Jesus at night. We're interested, we're curious, but we don't really want to fully associate with him yet, because that could affect our career, that could affect our social circle, that could affect our reputation. And Jesus is patient with us with our questions and with our doubts as he is with Nicodemus. And and he wants to tell us something as he's telling Nicodemus. He says, listen, you want to know how to see the kingdom of God, how to enter the kingdom of God, how to know that your relationship with God is secure. You have to be born again by the Spirit who is like water. He is cleansing and he gives life. The very things that come from above, like water. Water comes from above, right? Rain falls. You don't control it. You can try to do a dance. It's not going to work. Rain falls when it falls, and it falls from above. And Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit falls from above. He comes from above. You don't control it. And when he comes, he brings life. And he sustains you. He's saying to Nicodemus, and this is really shocking for him, and I think even shocking for us, right? He says that your relationship with God has nothing to do with the family you've been born into, the culture you were raised in, how good you think you are, or how many rules you have successfully, or at least in your mind, think you've successfully followed, It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with whether or not the spirit who is like water has fallen on your mind and your heart and given you new life. Has He's reborn your mind and your heart. He's brought from the kingdom of heaven eternal life. To you, Jesus says this in other passages at well, as well at the woman at the well. She's asking about living water. She says, "How, how can I find living water?" Jesus, like, I want that. I don't want to thirst anymore. And Jesus says that it comes. He implies it comes from above. There's a man born blind, so he's in complete darkness. He's at the pool of Siloam, and we're told very specifically that the pool of Siloam means sent from above. As he goes into the water that is sent from above, he is rem- the darkness of his eyes is removed and he sees the light. See, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and to us that in order to move from darkness to light, in order to be reborn, in order to have new life and to be secure in your relationship with God, it must fall from heaven like water through the power of the Holy Spirit because he gives life. And he wants to root this in our mind and our heart that we can't earn our relationship with God. We can't do certain things to deserve it. It doesn't matter the culture, the family, doesn't matter how many times you've been to church. It doesn't matter any of that. It's whether or not the Holy Spirit has fallen on your mind and your heart and birthed new life in you. And so he transitions and he says, the Holy Spirit is not only like water, but he's also like wind he says that the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He's saying that new life that, that takes away the darkness that you've been living in is like the wind. You can't control the wind because the Spirit you cannot control. He blows and he moves when he wishes, and nothing you do can cause him to blow. You can't control him. I've been kiteboarding one time. Has anyone here ever been kiteboarding? Very few of you. Well, you need to try it because it's awesome. So I, you know, I'm, I'm really excited. My friend is like a professional kiteboarder, but he's not a lot of kite board because he had multiple concussions. You know, it's very dangerous. He flies like way too high, like 45 feet in the air, some crazy stuff. So he says, I want to teach you. So I'm like a little nervous, but okay, we're going to do it. So we go out to the beach and it's blowing really hard, right? We didn't control the wind. We, we just, it happened that day. The wind was blowing. Perfect day for kiteboarding. He's like, okay, perfect selfie. He's like, okay, whatever. So we're at the beach. We're at the sand. He puts the harness on me. He lays out the kite, and he puts the kite up there. Once it's in the sky, like, you start to get nervous because it's really strong. Like, it's not just like, it's not like, you know, flying a kite when you're a kid. Like, this is a real deal kite. This is like adult kite okay so it's up there and you can't control the winds you don't know where it's going so you're learning how to navigate and he's like listen i'm not going to put the board on you yet but i I want the board on me he's like no you're going to be a viral video of a guy being dragged down the beach like we're not going to do that so like okay so we're there the wind's blowing i'm learning how to navigate it it takes a little bit of time right you have to learn how to like adjust to the winds but once you do once you learn how to ride the winds once you learn how to enjoy the winds it's amazing. Like, it's freeing. I didn't even want the board. All I wanted to do was what I called jumpies, where you take the bar, and you jump, and you pull it like this, and you go, whee, all the way down the beach. Like, that's a new sport, jumpies. Kite jumpies. That's what we're going to start doing now. You just jump down the whole beach. It's so fun. But see, I did not control the winds. I didn't even control any. All I had to do was learn how to ride it and to enjoy it. And see, this is exactly what Jesus is saying with the wind. He's saying that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You cannot control when he blows and the gusts. You can't control anything. You can control, actually, how to enjoy the wind. My prayers at that this series would be about learning and growing and enjoying the Holy Spirit. But you can't control the Holy Spirit. New life from God falls down from heaven like water. And it blows on your heart and your mind. And you can't do anything to earn it or to deserve it or to cause it to blow. But you can enjoy it when it does. And it makes sense logically as well, right? Things that sustain life, we don't control water and we don't control wind. So why would we think that we control eternal life? If we don't control the things that sustain life... As water falls from heaven to keep plants and animals and and us alive, as wind blows to spread seeds and pollen to create and sustain life, and why would we ever think that we control eternal life? It falls from heaven it blows like wind on us. As Lauren read earlier, Genesis 2-7, this has been true since the beginning, says, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed in his nostrils a breath of life, and the man became a living creature that... God is the author of life, not only physical life, because we didn't control our birth either, but spiritual life. He is the one that brings it into our hearts. And so Nicodemus is here, and he's pondering all of this, and then Jesus looks at him, and he says probably the most famous verse in the entire Bible He tells Jesus exactly who he is. He preaches the gospel to him. Jesus Christ looks at Nicodemus and he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Notice the language that Jesus uses with Nicodemus. He says, God loved. Not you loved God and therefore God. No, no, no. God loved and he gave. God loved you. He gave his son who died for you, and the Holy Spirit fell from heaven and blew on your heart and mind to illuminate that you might see the truth of who God is. And how do you respond? You respond in faith. Can imagine Nicodemus sitting there pondering and thinking all of this. And I I actually think that that night Nicodemus came to believe and trust in Jesus Christ as his Savior, that he experienced new life and he knew that he was, in fact, secure in his relationship with God because the Holy Spirit fell from heaven and blew like wind on his heart and his mind. The reason I think that is because Jesus ends this conversation. With Nicodemus in a very peculiar way. He says in verse 19, it'll be on the screen, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world, Jesus Christ, and people who love the darkness rather than the light because of their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works Should be exposed. And you know, Nicodemus, you can imagine him like nodding in agreement. Like, that's exactly what happened. He came to Jesus at night. He didn't want to be associated with Jesus. He had a lot of questions. He was interested. He was curious, but he didn't want to be exposed. And now he has, as he's standing before the light of the world. And then he says, Jesus, in verse 21, something very interesting. He says, But whoever does what is true comes to the light. So it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The very thing that Nicodemus asked in the very beginning. I mean, are you from God, Jesus? Because people that do these signs like you, you have to be, God has to be with you. And he responds and he says, listen, those that have come to see the light, they don't come to Jesus in the darkness anymore because they want other people to see the good works of God in them as God has carried them forward and brought about new life. He's saying that the follower of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, actually, that you don't want to hide your faith. You don't want to hide your what God is doing and has done in your life because you want other people to see that he has carried you forward. And the reason I believe that Nicodemus that night came to believe is because we see Nicodemus one other time in this book. Chapters later, at the very end of the book, we see Nicodemus with a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And Jesus and Nicodemus and Joseph are all together in the light But Joseph and Nicodemus are with the dead body of Christ as he's been crucified. And Nicodemus goes with Joseph who has the tomb that they're going to put Jesus in. And Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of burial spices and ointment. See, he's no longer ashamed to be associated with Jesus. His family, his friends, his co-workers, other Pharisees, they see that Nicodemus is a follower of Christ as he helps to lay the light of the world in a dark tomb and three days later he's going to see that he comes forth from that tomb. You see, John chapter 3 teaches us three things. One, that eternal life is given, it is not earned or deserved. That is, we have to say that again. You have to remind yourself of this. You cannot earn or deserve or perform or do anything to get eternal life. It is given to you from above, like water that falls from the sky. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings new life to you. He brings eternal life as he illuminates your mind and your heart so you can see and trust and believe in the things of God. And he brings new life to the dark places in your heart and in your mind. If you're here tonight, you know, and you've, you've come to Jesus at night, we say this all the time, like this is a safe church for you to be in, for you to begin your journey of faith, for you to ask questions. Many of us, I would maybe say most of us, have experienced that, and we've walked through those things, and we've asked those questions, and some of our journeys have been a long time, some have been short. But here's the truth. You're not going to rationalize your way to God. You're not going to philosophize your way to God. You're not going to get every single answer perfectly so that you can finally come to trust and believe in Christ. God is going to expose you to the light, and you're going to believe. Because we can't do anything to earn that which comes from heaven. So I always encourage people, if you're here and you're on that journey, study other faiths. Ask your questions. Doubt. Because truth always wins. And God is the one that comes to rescue you. And he will bring you to see the truth of who he is. And the third thing, the last thing, is for the believer. And here's what Jesus wants to leave with you. He says that the follower of Christ is someone that walks in the light. That you don't hide your faith. You don't hide what God is doing in your life. Because you want other people to see who Jesus Christ is and who the Holy Spirit is who's working in your life making you like him. But if you've been a Christian for a minute or you've been a Christian for 20 years, you know that that is really, really hard. Because darkness feels like the light. Right? We can equate darkness or the light, we can equate the light with comfort and with security and with happiness as we define it. And so what happens is we become fooled. We trick ourselves and we justify things, right? So we say something like this. We justify our relationship that we know is not good. And there's all types of red flags, but we justify that we need to be and stay in that relationship because losing that relationship feels like darkness. We justify our lack of boldness and authenticity and our faith at work because the awkward conversations that will most likely come out, the weird work environment that may potentially happen, how people may speak about us feels like darkness. We justify our lack of generosity in time or talent or treasure because giving any of those things away means we're not going to be able to use them on ourselves, and that feels like darkness. We justify our lack of trusting in God's plans and his purposes for our life because our anxiety... And our fixation on our life makes us feel like we're in control of it. And to let go of that control feels like darkness. We justify our lack of investment in the Christian community, whether it's attending church regularly, it's going to community groups, or whatever it may be in the season of life that you're at, because really doing that means that we're going to have to say no to other things that we may rather go to. And that feels like darkness. We justify our temptation to pride or to bitterness or to selfishness or to lack of self control or to just a spirit of giving up because we say things like, you know what, this is just who I am. This is how God made me, and I'm never going to change. I don't think I could ever change. It's pretty much impossible. And the idea of trying to change feels like darkness. We justify our behavior that we know is not beneficial and is not good for us, but we say things like, you know what, Everyone else is doing the same thing, probably worse. And I really do enjoy it. And to give any of that up feels like darkness. So change and new life, as God is saying, as Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit comes and not only bring eternal life, but he comes to blow like the wind and bring new life to your mind and to your heart and to the dark areas of your life that you're keeping from God feels undesired and unlikely because if we're honest and if i'm honest we want to gain everything and lose nothing we want to gain everything we want to lose nothing it's like we're playing credit card roulette but we have no money in our bank account has anyone here ever played credit card roulette I have one time. It is terrifying. What you do is you go to a restaurant with friends, a nice restaurant. You enjoy good food. You enjoy good wine. You spend time together. And then at the end of the night, when the bill comes, everybody puts their credit card in a hat. And you swish it around. And you pull one out. And whoever's card comes out, they pay for the whole bill. Done that one time in my life. In college, I was terrified. I was like, I'm going to be eating ramen for a month, two, probably three months. And it will be the knockoff ramen that tastes like cardboard and water. But I didn't lose but this is, what we, this is how we view sometimes as we come to God and as we engage in our relationship with God. We say, God, I want to sit at the table. I want the good food. I want the wine. I want the conversations. I want the laughter. I mean, I want it all. I want the whole experience. And you know what? I'm going to put my card in the hat so I feel invested. But if you pull my card out, ah, we could have a problem because I don't know if I can pay it. I don't know if I want to pay it. I don't think I'm ready to pay it. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? Like, you like, God, I want everything. I want everything you have to offer. I want to experience everything. But if you pull the relationship card, uh, if you pull the generosity card, if you pull the be authentic with my faith at work card, if you pull the Christian community card, if you pull the anxiety card, if you pull the pride card, I don't know if I'm willing to do that. And sometimes it's not like, God, this is off limits. Sometimes for us, it's just frustrating that we just, we can't let go. The darkness is too tempting. We don't think we'll ever move past it. Because though we know where to go, we see the light, we come to church, we hear sermons, we go to Bible study, we read God's word, we know exactly where God is calling us to walk, we see the light ahead of us, we forget how to begin moving. And Jesus is saying that you begin moving by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, who will blow like wind and will bring new life to you doesn't matter how disciplined you are, how focused you are, how strong you think your will is. Change and new life comes by the Holy Spirit. There's a quote on the front of your worship program. I want to read it as we close tonight. It's by Wesley Hill. He's an author and he's a professor. and I love this quote. He says this, I once faced a temptation that was so persistent and so overwhelming that I literally believed my whole world would go dark if I refused to give into it. All I could do was scream to the Holy Spirit to keep me from it. You see, the Holy Spirit gives life. And sometimes we need to ask Sometimes we need to begin to enjoy the wind when he blows, and sometimes we need to scream to the Holy Spirit and ask him to bring new life to those dark areas of our life, to bring light in who is Christ himself. Will you pray with me?